welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Black Fashion History. And I just want to take some time to shout out all of the new listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I've noticed that we've gotten a lot of new listeners over the past couple of weeks. So thank you guys for tuning in, for finding Black Fashion History online and deciding that you want to be a part of this community. This is legit the best fashion community on the internet. You're not going to find any place better. Trust me. We have a great time here. We learn about Black history. We celebrate Black-owned businesses and we have great discussions as we work to diversify the industry. So thank you for just coming aboard and supporting. Another note for the newbies, I love to have discussion and conversation. I talk back. I know that you hear me on the podcast, but I do talk back. And my favorite way to communicate with you guys is through IGDM. So if you ever have a question, you have a comment, you want to talk about something further, you just want to say what's up, please do not be shy. I definitely talk back. Hit me up at Black Fashion History Podcast on Instagram in the DM and I will respond to you. Now, it may take me a couple days. Sometimes it takes me a week. It might take me a while to get back to you, but I do respond and I love hearing your thoughts. I love hearing suggestions on who you'd like to hear about on these episodes, um, something you want to be discussed further, resources that you want or resources that you want to share with me, whatever it is. I love hearing from y'all. You guys are the best and have been so supportive and you're sharing as much knowledge with me as I am sharing with you. So please, please, please talk to me. Next housekeeping note. If you guys have not already, you definitely need to head over to blackfashionhistory.com and sign up for the email list. Um, If you sign up, you instantly get a free download where I have a list of 30 black fashion history books to teach you more about black fashion history. So you get that freebie download, but I have some exciting things coming up in the future that I'm going to be sharing via email. So you don't want to miss that. So head over to blackfashionhistory.com and sign up for the email list. For many of you who are listening, you're probably already on the email list and you know, I don't send a whole bunch of emails. I'm going to be doing better with that. And by better, I don't mean clogging your inbox, but I do mean just a regular communication um, outside of like Instagram DM and being able to share more things with you all. So make sure to sign up for my email list and I can't wait. Now let's get into today's episode. In June of 1967, there was a beautiful Liberian woman on the cover of Jet Magazine and they deemed her Africa's famous model. But it's very likely that you've never heard of her, which isn't a surprise because there isn't tons of information out there about her. But today I'm going to share with you some tidbits about the life and career of model, designer, journalist, and UN correspondent Yanni Singari, that beautiful Liberian woman that was on the cover of Jet. Yanni was born February 18, 1939 in Monrovia, Liberia to the ambassador Charles T.O. King II and Edmonia Howard King. Her birth name was Jeannie Cecilia King. And as you can tell by the title of her father, she comes from a family of notable politicians. 
She is the great grandniece of Liberia's first president, Joseph Jenkins Roberts, and the grandniece of President Daniel E. Howard and the granddaughter of President Charles D.B. King, which are all presidents of Liberia. And of course, her father was the ambassador, Charles King II. She trained in Paris and Switzerland and received her degrees in journalism. And sometime after her marriage, she adopted the work name of Yanni Singari. In Liberia, she worked as the women's editor for a local newspaper. She also worked as a commentator, a producer, and a director of TV and radio shows. And in the 1950s slash 1960s, she moved to the U.S., with her husband when he came over to study for a doctorate in economics. In the U.S., she continued to maintain her position as a notable, and she also continued to pursue her career in journalism. In D.C., she worked for this magazine called Voice of America and wrote articles for Topic Magazine, and she also began her career as a United Nations correspondent. However, she has always had a natural talent and interest in fashion, and she could sew. After her time that she spent studying for her journalism degree in Paris, she was really inspired by the fashion and the style there, and she began adopting uh, African style that she was used to and that she grew up with and combining that with the Parisian fabrics that she was being introduced to and developed garments that combined both features of like Parisian couture and traditional Liberian and other West African country styles. While developing her design skills and work in the U.S., she acquired a contract to design her signature style garments, which were these beautiful, long gowns, but made in African fabrics and styles that people at the time called boo-boos. And she acquired this contract to make those garments for a New York women's specialty store that was located on Fifth Avenue. And if you have been listening to my podcast or um, just are into fashion, you know, Fifth Avenue is the place to be, especially during this time. If there, if you hear about anything on Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue or Seventh Avenue, you know that that is the spot for fashion. So to be able to have your designs sold in these types of stores, especially as a black designer, and in this case, an African designer, and honestly, an African designer that relatively was unknown, um, is a very big deal. It's also likely that that store was not black owned, so it was probably owned by um, a white store owner and probably most likely had a majority of white clientele. So again, adding that additional caveat of having white women purchase designs from African designers is also a a big deal. Um, it's not a new thing because, you know, African women, black women were the ones designing clothes for white women for years and years and years. But it is a big deal to have a professional relationship built and having that thing being sold in the store. Now, I do not have much information like on whether or not these items were coded to her, meaning she was, you know, um, attributed to her, like if her tags were sewn in or people knew that this was by Yanni Singari and she's a Liberian designer or, you know, UN correspondent or whatever. I have no idea if she was actually given credit for it. Um, but just based on history, history would tell me that she wasn't, but uh, hopefully she was. 
1967, she really gained the attention of the fashion community when she was represented in the Women's Council of the African American Institute's fashion show in Washington, D.C. The organization hosted the fashion show and they titled it Fashion Shafari to highlight African fashion and its influence on American clothing. And the show was a benefit show that the Women's Council used to sponsor um, students who were studying in the United States and to bring together students and and dignitaries and all of the who's who in politics in D.C. The event was held at the Sheraton Park in D.C. and it was named one of the biggest social hits of 1967. There were about a thousand people in attendance and we are talking about um, dignitaries, notables, and a lot of wives and of politicians and dignitaries in D.C. Now, the concept of the show was to, one, showcase African fashion and style, and to, two, have wives of African ambassadors and dignitaries from 32 countries to model as part of the fashion show. Of course, Yanni Singari was invited to be one of these models, and she literally stole the show everyone's heads turned and she got everyone's attention um, so much so that they named her and awarded her the upcoming international model. As a result of her participation in the show, she received offers, modeling contract offers from agencies around the country. Like that's how much people were obsessed with the way she looked and the and her talent as a model. And the interesting thing about it was that she was a model that did not wear her hair straight and she did not wear any makeup. So just pure natural beauty they were obsessed with and were like, we need to have her become a model. Like she needs to do work. As part of the event, Yanni models her own designs, um, her famous, uh, like her signature garments. And then she created some designs for some of the other dignitaries and their wives to wear as well. And of course, those were a standout. Those were a hit. Now, one thing about her, her life's work um, And that's not just with her clothing designing, her modeling, but also with her work as a journalist. She has always been 100% proud of her culture and always had the desire to promote her culture and share knowledge with the world, especially as she lived in different places like Paris and Switzerland and moved to the U.S. She said to Jet Magazine, I want to sell Africa. I am proud of the continent and its people, and I want Americans and especially Negroes to be equally as proud. As an African, I want Americans to appreciate our clothes, our culture, our language, and even our walk. And that is an idea she poured into every single aspect of her work. Now, with her being swamped with all those modeling contract offers after the show, I was not able to find uh, anywhere else of her doing modeling work. I found tons of videos and papers out there of her, you know, as far as journalism is concerned and being a UN correspondent. But the only modeling work that I was able to see was that cover of Jet Magazine and her walking in the fashion safari show in D.C., So that leads me to believe that she opted out of a life in fashion and or opted out of maybe a public life in fashion and continued her her work designing or and most definitely continued her work with journalism and just bringing awareness of African culture and issues to the world. 
Or maybe she did some modeling work here and there because there are a couple of articles out there that named her as part of um, the wave of African models that came in and swept the industry. Either way, it's amazing to know that a young girl from Liberia came over to the States and essentially swept the industry. One pattern that is interesting to note at this time is that in the 60s, there was kind of like a a small, I would say, wave or an influx. And influx is not even the right term because that kind of means a lot. But African models were coming into the industry. And um, what was interesting about African models at this time is that many of them were, again, just people of notoriety, meaning they were like wives of ambassadors or diplomats, or they were um, in some way connected with foreign affairs themselves, like Yanni Singari. She was a wife of a diplomat, the daughter and granddaughter of you know, politicians, and then also a UN correspondent herself, so involved in foreign affairs. Uh, and a lot of the African models at this time or followed in that same pattern. Those are the ones that were really um, being able to, to gain a foothold or a stage in the industry. And this is a stark contrast to um, what the first kind of batch of African-American, like black models born in America, looks like come into the industry. Many of them came from blue collar backgrounds. Think of Beverly Johnson, um, Pat Cleveland. You know, they didn't come from rich families or notable families. I think that's an interesting point to note and also speaks of a little bit of the um the way that the industry or even us as a culture view African-Americans and Africans like blacks born and raised in African countries. I think it also speaks to the industry's desire for exoticism. Every time they talk about African models, it's always like, oh, they're so exotic. Oh, they're so this. And I think, um, At the time, African beauties who had the access and the ability to come over to the U.S. and be, quote unquote, discovered um, were those who were well traveled and educated abroad and, um, you know, were related to diplomats and dignitaries so they could be in this field and area. So it's all interesting, all nuanced, but I love uncovering the history of us in fashion, and this is part of it. You know, we are not only designers, but we're also models and stylists from a variety of countries, of backgrounds. And I love just hearing the story of having um, a black woman, no matter where she's from or what her background is, come in and completely take by storm and leave in awe this industry that tends to be racist and not open to diversity. And I'm excited to do more research on how Africa, Liberia, especially because that is my home country, has influenced fashion in America, as well as the fashion industry around the world. So if you see anything, any resources that you would like me to check out or anybody that you would like to know more about, make sure to send it over in a DM on Instagram. Like I said at the beginning, I'm always responding and I'll do an episode. And that's it, guys. 
Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you loved what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms and on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you don't do any of that stuff, make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.